Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for Father's Day. We thank you for everything this day represents, God. Just pray, Lord, it be a special blessing on our dads, on our fathers. Comfort those of us who have lost our father. Uh, encourage those of us who will one day be fathers. And God, we, just, we thank you for dads. We thank you for fathers. And just pray, Lord, that you bless us in a mighty way. And now, Lord, as we get into your word, speak to us because we're studying your inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And so, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul's got a Bible for you. As we turn this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're at. Working our way through the two epistles. Millions of believers for the past 2,000 years have suffered greatly for Christ. Millions, literally, around the world since the beginning of Christianity. And I was looking at different Christians throughout the history, and I wanted to highlight one this morning in the opening of my sermon. Whoever, who has heard of the name of William Tyndale? Okay, cool. Cool, so for many of you guys, this will be maybe the first time you get to hear about William Tyndale, but I'd like to share with you a little information about who William Tyndale is. William Tyndale was a 16th century English scholar and leading figure in the Protestant Reformation. He, in his day and age, he had been completely convinced that the scriptures were twisted, mangled, and used only to manipulate people by the priest and the papacy of his day. Feeling led by the Lord, Tyndale set out to translate the scriptures from the Hebrew and Greek text into an English translation that could be read by all people so that he could get the word of God into all, all hands. So he began printing this translation in 1525 in Germany. Many godly laypersons benefited from his work, but the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church today hated it. They couldn't stand it that the word of God was getting into all people's hands. And in 1530, he was arrested and condemned to death. On October 6, 1536, in the town of Vilvoord, Netherlands, he was brought to his place of execution, tied at a stake and strangled to the point of death, and then burned in a fire. His dying last words were, Lord, please open the king of England's eyes. And he thus passed away. And he suffered greatly for his faith. This guy produced the very first English translation of the New Testament. It was from this translation that uh, they say that the King James, 83% of the, uh, if you have a King James version this morning, or New King James, 83% of your translation came from William Tyndale's translation of the New Testament. A lot to be thankful for this guy. Christians have given a lot and suffered. And even though we don't see it in our culture today, there's a lot of Christians that, that, that suffer today. So the title of my message from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, as we go verse by verse, is Appointed for Affliction. Appointed for, for Affliction. I'm going to spend probably 80% of my sermon on verse 3. 
but we're still going to study it verse by verse. But I want to give you a little bit of historical context. Paul, Silas, second missionary journey. They were at Philippi, had the young uh, demon-possessed slave girl set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of that, Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, and they were beaten with rods. And then they were, then they were put in jail when they left Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, they reasoned with the Jews for three Sabbaths, uh, trying to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. It, it got very intense. It got very hostile. They did not like Paul's message. They weren't welcoming the gospel. It got so hostile that Paul, had to leave, Paul and Silas had to leave in the middle of the night to keep from being killed. They go on to Berea, where the, the scripture says that the Christians there welcomed them, and the Bereans diligently studied the scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying was correct. But even then, Jews from Thessalonica came down to Berea and tried to turn the people against Paul, uh, against Paul and Silas. Then Paul and Silas go from there to, to Athens, and then on to Corinth. And in this letter, Paul is writing back to the church at Thessalonica saying, hey guys, stay tough. I, I, he, he's got to be talking about the, the resistance from the Jewish people and probably some of the common people there that were resisting the gospel and that were persecuting them. So now he's writing back to them. So let's take a look at, um, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, the first thing you need to understand here uh, in this time was Paul loved the church at Thessalonica. He loved them. Look back at chapter 2, the last two verses that we read last week that we closed with. Look in your Bibles at um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the last verses 19 and 20. He talks about this. Paul says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at what he says about the church at Thessalonica. He says, for you are our glory and our joy. Paul deeply cared for them. He deeply loved them. This is the heart of a pastor. Every pastor, every shepherd should love his people. Should, should, should love his people. Should care for his people. When they rejoice, he rejoices. When they hurt, he hurts. That's a, 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 a sign of, of a pastor, of a shepherd, of a Christian leader who's discipling people under them. Paul loves them so much, he's going to send his very best, which is Timothy. Look at verse 2. Paul's thinking about them. He's remembering the persecution. He's remembering the affliction that, that took place with him there. And he, he can't handle it no more. He says, I've got, got to send Timothy. Verse 2. He says, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Paul sends his very best. And look at, look at what verse 2 says about Timothy. First it says he is a brother. That speaks of the, the intimate relationship, relationship the family-like relationship that Paul had with him and that the believers had uh, with Timothy. And he says, and God's fellow worker. That was the, describes the kind of person that Timothy was. And it describes the kind of person that we should be. 
We should be within the body of Christ. We should be a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And we need to be fellow, co- fellow workers in the kingdom of God. And our mission, you play a vital part in the body of Christ. Okay, You play a very important role. We are called to, as Timothy says here, to, in the second half of verse 2, he says, to strengthen and encourage. And one of the very important roles that you have in the body of Christ is to encourage others. To encourage others. Don't underestimate how important that is. We all go through battles. We all go through struggles. We all wrestle and wrangle with things in our mind. And God uses other believers to come alongside and encourage. Don't ever forget that. We all need a a Timothy-like person in our life. Somebody that will come alongside and encourage us. to, To love us. And so Paul is sending Timothy back to Thessalonica to do this very thing for the believers. Look at verse 3. This is where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning. He says in verse 3, So that no one would be disturbed. We're going to break this down phrase by phrase in verse 2. He says, so that no one would be disturbed. What he's, what he's saying there, the Greek word there is, 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 uh, is a word that means a dog wagging his tail. Go look it up on Blue Letter Bible. Look it up in your concordance. It's, 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 it's going back and forth, being flip-flop, being changed and, and, and being shaken, being knocked off course. It means to, to not be moved from faith in Christ. And that's what Paul is telling them. Don't be moved. I know your affliction. I know your suffering. I know what you're going through there at Thessalonica. But listen, don't be moved. God will be faithful. He will hold you through. He will carry you through this difficult time. And then he says in verse 3, I'm going to read it from the beginning, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. By these afflictions. What? Afflictions? We got to suffer? Sometimes you will have to suffer for Christ. You know, depending on where you live in the world, how bold your faith is, how outspoken you are, you can suffer. You can suffer affliction. This word affliction here means a pressing together, a tribulation, a distress, an anguish. He's not talking here about sickness or disease, but he's talking about an affliction that you experience because you follow Jesus Christ. That's that's what this word here means. It's the, the difficulties that you face in the culture, in the world you live in because you confess to be a Christian. Affliction can be good. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's, let's finish this first. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He says, bodies, afflictions, and then he says, for you yourselves know that, here it is, guys, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Some, some translations uh, say destined. Some say appointed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what it says. That's what the scripture, that's the promise of God's word. Jesus said, You will have tribulation in this world. And now they persecuted Christ. And what are we today? We are the body. We are, we are the body of Christ. And the way that the world treated Christ, they will treat us. When you get into those hostile areas where people are just opposed to Christianity. Some places there's little or no opposition. 
Some places there's great opposition. In some places it costs people their lives. The world is okay. Now, hear me out. The world is okay with you going through confirmation. It's okay with you getting baptized. It's okay with you going through through, um, rituals. But you start talking about being born again. You start talking about the cross. You start talking about uh, the holiness of God and telling people that they need to turn from their sin to Jesus. You will suffer. You will suffer. You, you, the, the, the light will be put on you. I was, I was putting this thought process together, and um, I got this slide for you. There it is. I was trying to figure out how to say this to y'all this morning, so I wrote it down so you could see it. But righteousness, that means a right standing with God, being a born-again Christian, can, and can bring conflict. Conflict brings affliction. Righteousness, in other words, righteous living, can be confrontational depending on where you live, where you work, and what part of the world you're in. And what we mean by that is the manner you live by. You know, when you say, you know what, I'm going to walk in sexual purity. I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm, I'm, I'm going to save myself for my future spouse. People laugh. People scorn at that. And the manner that you live by, it confronts the unbelieving world. It reminds them that there is, a, there is righteousness in the world and there are people who genuinely try to follow Christ. And it's that, the very last line, it's that that will receive scorn in, in this world. That's, that's how people get persecuted. Now, there is a way out. There is a way for you to avoid affliction. There is a way for you to avoid persecution. And I think as we, get, as we move further and further into the future, and we're, we're heading towards the last days, I think it's going to get tougher and tougher. Right now what we see happening in the Middle East, the, the persecution is very, very severe. What we see in Europe is moderate. Over here it's really light. Just depends on where you're at and where you live. But, I, but, the, but the way to avoid affliction and persecution is to keep silent. To keep silent. Don't ever share the gospel. Don't, don't ever share your faith with no one. You won't get no persecution. Blend in with the world. Live a life of, a, live a life of compromise. You'll, you'll get the applause of the world. They'll welcome you. Amen. You got your religion and, and your world too. They'll, they'll, they'll take that. They, they will take that. But the problem with this is that it's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not pleasing to the Lord. And your ultimate aim in life, and my ultimate aim in life as, as Christians, is to please God. It's to please the one who made us, the one who formed you, the one who, who put you together in your mother's womb, the one that's given you life and given you air and given you a family, the one that's blessed you, and the one who sent his only son so that we could be forgiven. That's the one we aim to please. We don't aim to please the world. We don't aim to please each other. We aim to please God. The history of Christianity is paved with people who have suffered for Jesus Christ. How about John the Baptist? We all know the story. He got beheaded. Why did he get beheaded? He confronted Herod and said, what you're doing is wrong. Herod was committing sexual immorality. 
and, and, and John the Baptist confronted him. And what happened to John the Baptist? The son of June would say, <laughs> took his head off. The very one that wrote these pages, we're sitting here this morning, you're looking at your Bibles and you're reading 1 Thessalonians, the very apostle that God used to write this text that we're studying many years after the New Testament was closed, he lost his head. He was beheaded for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter, crucified upside down. Our Lord and Savior, what happened to him at the cross? William Tyndale. People suffered throughout history for the gospel. How many of you guys ever heard of a, um, David Lynn? David Lynn of Christ Forgiveness Ministries. I watched this video this week, and I found it very shocking. But just two weeks ago, on June 4th, um, David Lynn was doing an outreach to, to the LGBT community up in Toronto, Canada. Now, you got to go watch the video for yourself. This guy is the most loving, caring, kind, compassionate pastor. He's not, a, he's not this open-air preacher and hollering and yelling and Bible-thumping, but he, he's just out there to share the gospel. And he does it in a very loving and kind way. He uses phrases like, listen, we respect you. We love you. He never said one thing about their lifestyle. Sexuality never got brought up. And his whole, he was just, hey, listen, I just want to share with you that God loves you and that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he can give you a new life if you'll repent and you'll return to him. He was doing what all Christians should do, which is go out and share the gospel. But what happens in the video? He gets assaulted, bullied, falsely accused. They get the video. We watched the video from beginning to end. You couldn't have been more loving than this guy. And ultimately, he was arrested. All because he was out there sharing his faith in Christ. Sharing it with all men. Because all men need salvation. According to opendoorsusa.org, this is the average numbers per month. Um, opendoorsusa.org, if you want to go back and look, if you want to go look at it for more information. But it says, today... 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons. This is global. This is global. This is Middle East, Europe, America, everywhere. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked. 219 Christians are arrested and detained without trial and imprisoned. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, was writing this chapter we're studying to people like this that were going through difficult times to be encouraged to stay the course. In America, where we have little or no persecution, where the focus is on ourselves, is on material things, what should we do? What do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to repent and get back to the Bible and get back to loving the Lord and, and trusting Him and serving him, and being bold, and being strong. We need to get back to, um, to discipleship, to evangelism, to raising godly families, to living holy lives, to living out the great adventure that we call the Christian life. You know, there's joy in following Christ. There's no place I would rather be than in God's perfect will, because he is a good, good father that takes care of me. He's a good, good father that takes care of you. There's no place I would rather be than being a Christian, serving my God and serving 
my Lord and my Savior. Maybe you're here and you've experienced some affliction. You've experienced some difficult times. Maybe you think about those Christians over in Iraq and in the Middle East that have suffered severe persecution. Maybe you think about Pastor, his name is David Lynn, if you want to look it up. Man, just beautiful presentation of the gospel. Very loving. There was not a condemning word in his voice. Um, But affliction. What's What's his purpose? What does it do in our life? As a believer, I'm talking about as a, as a Christian. And I'm here to tell you, affliction can be good. Affliction can be good in our life. Sometimes we need, we need a little fire. We need, we need a little persecution because it fortifies our faith. It makes us think long and hard and say, you know what? I'm going to believe what I believe. It makes our, when the persecution comes or the difficult times come because of your faith, it makes your roots uh, go deep. It goes, it goes deep. Affliction deepens our fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's when, when, when we suffer difficult times because of our Christian faith, we're telling Christ this, you are first in my life. You, you are first in my life. And this also is, is proving the, um, the authenticity of our faith. Your faith is real. When you go through difficult trying times and you say, Lord, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to trust in you. Lord, you're, you're my light. You're my guide. You're going to hold my hand. You're going to carry me through whatever difficult thing you're going through. You're saying that your faith is authentic. Affliction and affliction in difficult times, it exalts Christ. It exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes him look great. It makes him look great by the world. It's a powerful witness. It encourages others. It makes people say, wow, if he can do that, so can I. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. You see a, a Christian that suffers and they stay the course and you look back and you say, wow. If they can endure that persecution, if they can endure those difficult trials, I can take a little heat too. I can grow. So it, it can be good for us. Affliction can be good. Let's move on to verse 4. Verse, verse 4. He's encouraging them. To, to stay faithful, to stay true, to endure what was going on there at Thessalonica, which we know from Acts 17, there was some persecution coming from the Jews, the Jewish uh, believers there, or the Jewish um, people in the synagogue. Verse 4, he says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to, there it is again, suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. The Apostle Paul, on his missionary journeys, when he came to the cities and he came to preach the gospel, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't sugarcoat it. He probably, most likely, he told them, the Christian life can be difficult. The Christian life can be difficult. You know, the Christian life is about dying to ourselves. Dying to our own desires. Dying to the things that we want in life. And it's about picking up the things that he wants for us in our life. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says, In the world, there's the sweet and precious promises of God. John 16, 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. Whoa. That's what the rest of the verse says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus, the one who led 
through his suffering and his affliction on the earth, he leads the way and says, despite the suffering, despite the affliction, I have overcome the world, and you will too. In other words, you will make it. Our brothers and sisters in Christ that are around the world and that are suffering greatly, you know, we pray for them, and we know that they will make it. I imagine this is probably a verse they got tattooed on their arm, or they know very dearly. They, they know the, the difficult trials. But Paul says, he says, hey, I told you. And in the end of verse 4, he says, and so it came to pass, as you know. So evidently, after Paul left Thessalonica, went to Berea and, and on to um, Athens, that persecution that he experienced there, the believers were there, were then experiencing the persecution. Verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Very interesting verse here. The Apostle Paul is, is tying um, something to their affliction. He says, halfway through verse 5, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you. Satan will tempt the believer in their time of affliction, in their time of distress, when they're down and they're beaten and they're struggling. That's when Satan will come in and he will whisper. He will whisper things like, see, God doesn't love you. And it'll plague people's mind. He'll say, he'll, 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 he'll whisper to the believer, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. This trial, this difficulty, this affliction I'm going through is not worth it. That's what he'll whisper to the believer. Just go back to the world. Enjoy your flesh. Enjoy your carnality. What does John 8, 44 say? How is Satan described? Jesus says this. John 8, 44, he is the, talking about Satan, he is the liar and the father of lies. And when that voice comes to us, we just reject it in the name of Jesus. And we bow our hearts and our head in prayer, and we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you through this difficult trial. I'm going to trust you through this difficult time. I don't have all the answers. I don't know why it's happening. But, Lord, you're going to carry me through the fire. You're going to carry me through the storm. Verse 5 it is. Now let's look at verses 6 through 13. As I was looking at verses 6 through 13 this week, the, the, the thing that kept coming to my mind was band of brothers. And let's say this, band of brothers and band of sisters. <laughs> but a, a, a band of brothers, a band of sisters, a family, an interlocked family. That is what the early church was. And as I'm reading this in context, and studies in context of the first half of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I see, I see several things. One, this is the bonding of the family. And two, this is formula for affliction in the body. This is what a church body looks like when they're going through difficult times and they're making their way through affliction. Let's take a look at it, verse 6. Um, verse 6, he says, but now that Timothy has come to us with you and has brought to us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, it made 
the pastor's heart happy. He got the report back. They're doing good. They're standing strong in the faith. Despite the persecution, it, they're, 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 they're holding their ground. And that brings Paul great, great joy. But he says at the very end of it, he says, um, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. The first principle for a church going through affliction, going through a difficult time, is they have such a relationship that they look, here it is, they look forward to seeing each other. You know, there's something special about coming together at church. I, I look forward to, and I have for 20 years before I was a pastor, I look forward to going to church. I look forward to going and seeing Bud face to face and seeing Paul and Pat and all you guys. There's something about seeing each other and touching each other and shaking hands and fist pumps and high fives and hugs. There's something about seeing each other. It encourages us. Don't underestimate. You know, it's very important that we, that we do not forsake the fellowship of, of, of believers in gathering. Because it's there that we get to touch each other, see each other, and encourage each other. Each other. Verse 7, he says, For this reason, brethren, in all our distresses and afflictions, we were comforted about you through your faith. The early church comforted one another. They comforted one another. A very simple principle that, they, they, that a brother comes alongside another brother and puts his arm around him and encourages him. Says, hey man, I understand what you're going through. I understand the difficulty. And I just want to comfort you and, and help you get through this. But also another way that we're comforted is by who? Who's the great comforter? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts us. That's one of the jobs uh, one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our life is he comes alongside and he comforts us in difficult situations. But so does the church and so does the body. We come here to, to the body not to be torn down, but to be built up. And that's what should take place every Sunday, every Wednesday, is we're building people up. Uh, verse 8, for, I'm, 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 I'm going to pull something out of each verse here, in case you're wondering. For now we really live... If you stand firm in the Lord. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, man, my life is dependent on you. My life is dependent on your success. So as my principle here is they were living for each other. They were living for each other. You know, it breaks the heart of a believer when he sees another believer fall. It does. It breaks out. And you want to reach out to that person. And you want to encourage that person. And it shakes the foundation a little bit but we live for one another to encourage one another. Verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Paul took a shellacking. He took a whooping. He took a beating through all his missionary journeys. But you wouldn't know it by reading that verse because his joy was in, was, was, was in the body. His joy, um, the principle here is thankfulness, by the way, but his, 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 his rejoicing and his thankfulness was, was for each of the churches that he'd established. He wrote very similar statements to the church at Philippi and to the church at Rome. He loved them. He longed for them. He says in one of them, I think it's in Philippians, where he says, I long with the affections of Jesus Christ for you. But the principle from number nine for a church going through affliction is that we're thankful, is that, is that we're thankful for each other 
and we, we rejoice. It's like we're, we're the, the band of brothers, the body of Christ in the earth. We're, we're in this together. And God's faithful. He'll see us through. Verse 10. He says, As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. The principle here is the body of Christ builds each other up. And one of the ways that we build each other up is how? Pray. We pray for one another. We, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, if you have a prayer request, you know, um, on the, in the bulletins, put, put your prayer request. Share it with a believer. You know, if, something, if there's a difficult situation or something you're going through, and share it with a believer. Don't bottle it up. Go to someone that you trust, and there's a believer, and say, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for this prayer request? Um, we have our prayer request. Something really awesome, this just blessed me beyond measure, is um, we have our second Sunday of each month, we have our night of worship and prayer. And Craig and Jane Suggs, who come to our church, they're in Texas this weekend at their son's uh, basic training graduation. But uh, Craig and Jane Suggs, they have a ministry out to Fort Jackson. So they go out to Fort Jackson and they minister to the soldiers and they hand out prayer requests. So last week or a week before, whatever it was, they came in with a stack of about 50 prayer requests from the soldiers. And it was in agreement. They get the prayer requests from the soldiers, they bring it to us and we pray for them on Sunday night. And, and, but this, this other Sunday night, what we did is we passed them out. It was really cool, you know. I got somebody from California. Well, I got somebody from Texas. I got somebody from New York. But what an awesome privilege we have to pray for the soldiers that are in transit, that are passing through Fort Jackson. You know, God knows them. God knows where they're at. We don't have to know them by name or by face. But we get the awesome opportunity to lift up these soldiers to the throne room of heaven. A lot of the prayer, the majority of the prayer requests was, Lord, please help me get through basic you know, or help me endure this drill sergeant that's chewing my ear off. But we get to pray for these soldiers. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their walk. And God is alive and well in the military. Let me tell you, that's it right now. He is alive and well in the military because of prayer. Because of prayer. Because of what God is doing. But the, but, but the band of brothers, the early church, getting back to our text here, is, is we build each other up by praying for each other. You know, there should be nothing that we condemn someone for. No matter what you're going through, no matter how dark it is, bring it to the throne of grace. You come to me, I'm going to be like, dude, I'm the chief of sinners. You know, I'm the wretch. The song refers to, you know the song Amazing Grace? Well, you're looking, the pastor of this church is the wretch that song refers to from the previous life that I came out of. There's nothing not one thing you could tell me that would cause my jaw to drop or to cause me to be condemning or to cause me to judge you. Whatever it is, I don't, I don't care what it is. What, whatever the struggle is, I'll put my arm around you, I'll love you, and I will help you, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and I will show you grace. Why? Because that's what God does. God shows grace. I believe we're at verse 11 as we wrap this up here. He says, Now may our God and Father, 
himself. And Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Powerful, profound, biblical truth right here. Look at verse 12. This is the mark of a Christian. This is the mark of a believer. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for believers only. Is that what it says? No. It says, for one another and for all people. We love all people. I saw a video this week. Somebody was passing around. This preacher in Tennessee was ranting and raving about these people and being very mean and judgmental and damning and uh, just no love at all. And I'm like, that is not of the Lord. That is not of Christ. We love all people. We, we love all people. We will share the gospel with all people. We won't compromise. We won't compromise on our Christian convictions. We won't compromise on what the word of God says. But I don't, I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you're going through. I'm not going to be judgmental. I, I want our church, our body, to be instruments of grace. To show people the pathway out of darkness and into his glorious light. That's what we'll be. Look at verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. We grow in the love of God, the agape love of God for one another. So he's talking about there the body of Christ, believers in the church. But he says, and for all people. You know what that word all means? It means all. It says for all people. That's the mark of a believer. That's the mark of these band of brothers, these band of sisters, this early church, is they loved one another, <clears throat> and they even loved the people that were hating on them. You know, we love those people too. Yeah. The people that, that persecute believers, that put Christians to death, we still love them. We still love them, and we still show the love of Christ to them and point them to God. In verse 13, the, the early church, these band of brothers, these band of sisters, they had hope. They had hope. Look at verse 13. He says, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Their hope in their time of persecution and their time of affliction is that he will split that eastern sky and he will come again. And we'll be there in about, I think about two weeks in First Thessalonians chapter 4, somewhere around verse 16, 17, 18. We'll be talking about the, the rapture of Christ's coming. But that's the great hope. That's, what in, that's why those Christians in Iraq and Afghanistan and these Middle Eastern countries that are literally losing their life, I believe this is why they're able to endure the persecution, and the affliction that they go through. It's because they have an eternal perspective. They have in their eyes on the author and perfecter of their faith, and they're looking forward to his return. He also says there in verse 13, he says, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness. Holiness is important. You know, God calls us to be separate you know, you become a believer and then you begin to grow in sanctification. You begin to grow in holiness. And it's not about this holier-than-thou mentality, but it's about living this life of purity and, and walking before him in grace 
and truth and leaving the old life behind and embracing the new life. That's what he offers. That's what kept the early church together. Church, that's what I, I want to do for us this morning. I don't think anybody in here is, is being threatened by death because of their faith in Christ. But one this morning, I want us to pray for those who are persecuted, pray for those who are afflicted by the gospel, but also understand it can come. And I believe as we move forward into the future and we move forward to that day where Christ returns, I believe it will come to a point where there will be persecution, even in our country. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you that um, what we've seen, your servant, the Apostle Paul, encouraging the church at Thessalonica in, in their affliction, in their difficulty, in their trials, he's encouraging them to be faithful. Lord, let that be said of us. Let that be said of, of us as Christian men and women. Let us be faithful. Let, let us find our joy in you. Let us find our strength in you. Lord, let us comfort one another. Let us be thankful for one another. Let us build each other up. And Lord, let us look forward to that day when you will come again. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters in other countries that are suffering for their faith in you. Pray, Lord, that you encourage them, that you strengthen them, Father, and that you fortify their faith. So, Lord, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what we've learned this morning. Help us, Lord, to make a stand for you in our homes, in our work, and in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.